Would you stand with me and turn to Daniel chapter 2? Let's stand uh, together. Daniel chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verse 1 through uh, verse 30 this morning. Let's pray and ask that God would bless our time in the Word. Father, we thank you for the life of Daniel. We thank you for the way that you have used him for your glory. And God, we ask that you would really bless our time in your word, that you would cause our our minds, our ears, and most importantly, our hearts to be open to you. And as we go through problems and crisis in our lives, may we be quick to, to turn to you in prayer and watch you work. So we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. I tend to have a reoccurring dream. Do you ever have any of those? It goes like this. Right up here is a catwalk. If you've ever noticed, there's a little build out here. And uh, there's a hallway that goes from the offices, which are right to my right, and down here, and then behind stage. And in my dream, I'm walking down this long hallway. And it's kind of a creepy hallway. It's not lit very well, and you're kind of wondering, am I going to run into a dead body? But you... That, that, that's never happened, but in, in this dream, I, I'm walking, and I can't get to the end of the hallway. And worship is done, announcement's done, it's time for me to be here and teach, but I'm not here, and you guys are wondering what in the world happened. And finally, I get to the pulpit, and I'm in my Bible, and I can't find the text that I'm supposed to teach. So if it were this morning, like, I can't find... Daniel chapter 2. And this is going on for minutes and minutes in my dream. And you're all looking at me like, oh, he, what an idiot. He can't even find Daniel chapter 2. And then I finally find the text and I can't read it. When I'm looking down at the words, they're just, just all jumbled up and my heart's pounding. And then I finally wake up and I'm like, oh, it was just a stress dream. I'm like, I need to study a little more. I need to make sure that I know where Daniel chapter 2 is. It seems to be the things that weigh on us during the day can be the things that we dream about at night. But most of the times, dreams are just dreams. But not in our text this morning. We see Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, a reoccurring dream from the Lord, and God is getting his attention. God is speaking to this pagan ruler and showing him God's power. So let's begin in verse 1 of chapter 2. Now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams... And his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. So it's the second year of his reign. He's the king of Babylon, probably the most powerful man in the world at this time. If you're new to our study of the book of Daniel, we know that Daniel is a captive. He's a young man taken from Jerusalem to Babylon. God's going to use this young man to impact Nebuchadnezzar in a great way. Something very simple like a dream humbles this powerful king who doesn't know the Lord to where he's troubled and his sleep left him. Uh, We see dreams as plural. So this seems to be one dream. When Daniel gives him the dream and the interpretation, it's one dream, but he has it over and over and over again. In Proverbs 21 verse 1, it says, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. So God has Nebuchadnezzar's hand in his, has his heart in his hand and is able to turn it wherever he desires. God's getting Nebuchadnezzar's attention. In verse 2, the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams 
So they came and stood before the king. The king wants to know, what does this dream mean? So he gets his wise men, magicians, astrologers, those that would study the stars, the sorcerers, those that would tap into these false gods, ultimately demonic activity, and the Chaldeans, which would be the educated. Quite a broad group of men to find the meaning of of this dream. We find that this group is extremely humbled. They're the seers who can't see. So you've got the most powerful man in the world with the most powerful men of the world, but yet they can't find this dream and the interpretation of it. God has a way of humbling. In verse 3, And the king said to them, I have had a dream, and my spirit's anxious to know the dream. When God really wants your attention, he's able to get it. He's able to get your attention. The question is, is how's Nebuchadnezzar going to respond to this? How are we going to respond to it when God gets our attention? Verse 4, the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic. O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will give the interpretation. Whenever you're going to visit the king, it's always good to start it off by, hey, O king, by the way, just live forever. You're you're the man. I just hope you have a great day and, and have a great life. And they start off the conversation that way, but then they're quick to say, why don't you tell us the dream, and we'll give you the interpretation. This makes sense, doesn't it? It's hard to give the interpretation of the dream if he's not willing to share the dream. Nebuchadnezzar remembers the dream. He knows what the dream is, but he doesn't trust this group. He doesn't trust that they're going to give him a viable interpretation, that they're going to make up something, make up something that's logical, but not necessarily the true meaning of the dream. In verse 5, Then the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, My decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces, and your house shall be made a heap as an ash heap. Man, you thought your boss was bad. Right? Talk about some pressure. It's like, you guys either come up with the dream and the interpretation, or I'm cutting your head off, I'm cutting you into pieces, and I'm going to go burn your house down. You know, sounds like the big bad wolf. I'm going to huff and I'm going to puff and burn your house down, right? I'm going to get you. In verse 6, however, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and gift cards, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. So, If you don't tell me the dream and the interpretation, you're dead. But if you do, I'm going to give you great reward. It's all or nothing. Verse 7, they answered again and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will give its interpretation. They continue to knock on the door. Please just tell us the dream, then we'll give you the interpretation. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time because you see that my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me, there's only one decree for you. For you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can give me its interpretation. It's way of Nebuchadnezzar's to test them. If you can come up with a dream, then I'm going to be able to trust the interpretation. Do you see how God is setting the stage for Daniel and for his own glory. If we follow the thought line of the text, it begins with a problem. 
Nebuchadnezzar has this dream that he can't figure out. Nebuchadnezzar responds in a furious way to have these men killed. These men are looking to their own intellect. They're looking to demonic activity. They're looking to false gods. And none of them can come up with the dream, which then leads us to Daniel, who's going to rely upon the Lord, the one true living God, and God glorifies himself. We have to remember when we go through adversity, it is an opportunity for God's glory. God knows what he's doing. God's actually behind this. God's the one who is giving the dream to to Nebuchadnezzar. We don't see what God sees. As Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are going through this process, they don't see what God sees. They don't know what God knows. And as we are in trial and we get a death sentence, it's hard for us to understand, man, God is in this. He's setting the stage for his, his own glory. And so it goes from the problem to prayer and then to praise. Verse 10, then the Chaldeans answered the king and said, there's not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such things of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. No man can figure this out. Ultimately, that points to God. If no man can do this, then it points to the Lord and his glory. Not only can no man do this, but verse 11, it's a difficult thing that the king requests, and there's no other who can tell it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. So men can't reveal this. Only the gods can reveal this, and the gods don't dwell with us. (laughs) They're basically saying our our gods are not a lot of help in this. They don't dwell uh, with flesh. In verse 12, for this reason, the king was angry and very furious and gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. Power, responsibility is a gift from the Lord and Nebuchadnezzar's not using it very well. He's getting angry. He's getting furious. He doesn't get what he wants. And so he's ordering for all of the wise men of Babylon to be killed. You don't want to be that kind of leader. I don't want to be that that kind of leader. We want to be a servant leader like Christ. This isn't going to help Nebuchadnezzar. These are his smartest, wisest, best trained men. If he kills all of them, what's that going to do for his government? What's that going to do for their future going forward? So the decree went out and they began killing the wise men and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. So this is now where it touches Daniel and his three friends, because they're wise men. They brought into the inner circle, in the king's university, trained up to to be wise men, so they get a death sentence. I mean, imagine that. No fun to have that kind of boss. You don't know what each day is going to be like, and all of a sudden, here it is. If you don't come up with the dream, if you don't come up with the interpretation, you're going to be dead. In verse 11, Then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. Daniel answers with what? Maybe underline it. Take note of it. With counsel and wisdom. In the ESV version, that translation of the book of Daniel says, Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch. Arioch is the captain of the guard. He's been given this command to go kill the wise men. 
David has the, the wisdom to be able to approach him with prudence and discretion. In the New Testament, in instruction to pastors and elders, it tells us to be sober-minded. And the reason for that is don't be overcome with your emotions, but as you deal with problems and deal with difficulty, be on an even keel. And it'll serve us greatly in our lives if we can be like, like Daniel, and all of a sudden, here's this problem that's before you, is approach it with counsel, approach it with prudence, approach it with discretion. Maybe you have a Nebuchadnezzar in your life. Realize ultimately they are under God's authority. God's at work and you're trying to deal with it and sort things out is go forward with prudence. Go forward with counsel. Go forward with discretion. You know, if we're faced with a problem and we get overcome with our emotions and we become a problem. So, so now I'm a problem because of the way that I'm, I'm responding. I'm now adding to the chaos. Make sense? But if there's a difficulty and we can rely upon the Lord and stay calm, stay at a place of peace, remember that God's got this, then we can be used by the Lord to be part of the solution. So Daniel shows great self-control here and how he approaches Arioch, the captain of the guard. And this is what he declares. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, Daniel speaking to him, why is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel. So he comes to him and says, why is this so urgent? Why is this death sentence be given so quickly? Ariot could have easily then just had David or had Daniel killed. But he respects Daniel and makes the matter known to Daniel. Daniel responds instead of reacts. He responds instead of reacts. That's difficult to do. Even if somebody cuts us off in traffic, it's difficult to respond instead of react. He's in a place where he's calm, he's respectful, he's sober-minded. In verse 16, so Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. Daniel goes right to the source after he hears from Arioch and he goes into the king and says, would you please give me some time I'll seek the Lord and pray that God would give me the interpretation. This is a gutsy move by Daniel. We look at his options, there's not a lot of options. If he does nothing, he dies. If he goes to the king, the king may kill him for coming into his presence without being requested. We see that struggle with Esther in her writings, and she approached the king and and risked her life. We might say, well, this is an easy decision. He's dead either way, so why wouldn't he go before the king? But a lot of times in our lives and in history, people oftentimes don't step up, right? We know that there's a problem. We know that destruction's coming, but it's still easier to sit back and do nothing. And he shows a great step of faith here by saying, I'm going to go in and I'm going to Ask the king if I can have some time here. And what results is a lot of innocent men's lives are saved and God gets his message to Nebuchadnezzar. There had to have been a real stirring inside of Daniel that says, this is what you need to do. This is how you need to respond. This is the the step of faith. You need to step up and, and go into the king's presence. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. They're Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
he goes and he shares with his trusted friends, and they're going to seek the Lord together. This is so important when we think about the problems and the difficulties that we're going to face in our lives, is we need to be connected with the body of Christ. We need to be connected with other brothers and sisters in Christ. When our life goes on to the spin cycle, when it hits chaos and turmoil, it's not too late to find relationships inside of the body of Christ. You can always come to the church and ask for help in in those moments. But you know what? It's far better to already be in relationship with believers. Amen? To, To already have them in your contact list. You've got your Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Guys, you've got three men in your life that you can really rely on. Ladies, you've got three ladies in your life that you can really rely on. And you can send a group text. Crazy, right? They're your prayer warriors. They're your prayer partners. They're people that you can trust, that you've spent time with, that you're walking through with with life. And this is a a big part of this. You know, Daniel kind of comes to the forefront in this. But right there with them are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So don't wait. Invest in relationship with believers. Don't wait. Our society is crazy. It's busy. It's hard to find time, isn't it? And one of the first things that we leave out is relationship. Of inviting believers into our home. Of getting together for a meal. Taking the time to be in friendship with other believers. But we know this. Problems will come. In this life, there will be tribulation, right? There will be Nebuchadnezzars in this life. There's going to be challenge. There's going to be difficulty. There's going to be death sentence. And to be able to say, I am walking together with other believers, I can very quickly turn to them and say, hey guys, would you pray with me? Verse 18, that they might seek the mercies from the God of heaven concerning the secret so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So we go from problem to prayer. They're seeking the mercies of the God of heaven. They don't seek books by the Magi's on how to find out a dream and interpret it. They don't Google it. We don't see Daniel going to the World Wide Web and saying, how do you find out a dream and interpret it? They go right to God's throne. And I'm amazed as we face problem and difficulty, as I face problem and difficulty, it's easy to turn everywhere except the throne room of God, isn't it? And we tend to exhaust all of our other resources and then we go, well, I guess I'll pray about it. (laughs) We need to flip that around and realize, man, I need to come to God and ask for, for his mercy. God's mercy. Mercy is God's response to a person's need. Think about that. God's mercy is his response to our need. What's the answer to the problem? It's God's mercy. Does God have mercy for the problems that we're facing this morning? Absolutely. So come to him and seek him for his mercy. Skip Heitzig wrote a book on Daniel, and I've really been enjoying it. And he points out what affects our prayer life. Well, what is it that really prevents us from from praying? And one thing is, oftentimes, a lack of urgency. And there's nothing like a good old-fashioned problem to create urgency in our prayer life. You get a death sentence, and all of a sudden, prayer life gets a lot better, doesn't it? 
And then what else affects our prayer life? Well, our, our perception of prayer. Do I believe that God really hears my prayers? And I know that that's a basic question. Do, does my prayer just hit the ceiling and bounce, bounce back down? Or, or do I really believe that when I'm talking to God that he's listening? That I have a heavenly father that cares? And if I believe that and I have that perception of prayer, I'm going to be more likely to enter into to prayer. But then also, what's our perception of God? Daniel here says the God of heaven. The God of heaven. On Friday evening, Amber, my wife, and our two oldest daughters were, were watching a, a PBS a documentary on the Voyager. Voyager uh, 1 and 2. And so I sat down and started watching it uh, with them. And the Voyager went out in the, in the 70s to our solar system, uh, to our planets, and getting the first images of, of the planets. And then Voyager 1, after it finished its assignment, and Voyager 2, they just sent out, and they're still out there taking pictures. And eventually, Voyager 1, that's going the fastest, it goes 42,000 miles per hour, got out of our solar system. It was the first man-made thing that ever left our, our uh, solar system. And one of the scientists at NASA said, let's turn the Voyager around. They can control the Voyager here from, from NASA and take a picture of our solar system and specifically of Earth. And they showed this image where you have the sun shining upon Earth, but Earth just looks like a speck of dust in this image because the Voyager is so far away from the Earth. And I began to think about what does earth look like from God's perspective? He's the creator of the universe. And we think of the galaxies. We know there's more solar systems. We know that there's more out there. God has created things in the universe just for his own pleasure that we're never going to see. He's just like, I'm the man. I can do this. Boom. There it is, right? Named all of the stars. That's pretty incredible. Knows each star by name. It's hard to name your pet, let alone every star, right? And when we pray, we're talking to God. What's my perception of God? Sometimes the vastness of God's glory gets overwhelming. God, if, if you've created all these things, do you really care about my problem? And we think about God. He is the creator, but he is also God in human flesh. Jesus taking on human flesh, all God, all man, to where Jesus knows exactly what it is to be human. Knows what it is to be tempted with sin. He never gave in to sin. So that when we come to him, we know that he's both powerful and relatable. He's both vast, he's great, but he's extremely personal. We approach him and we're able to, to pray. So what's my perception of prayer? What's my perception of God? And then finally, what's my perception of the problem? If I'm not focusing on God, the problem seems huge, doesn't it? But when I begin to focus on the Lord, I begin to understand God's got this. For me, it's always a process. I'm spun up. I'm looking at the problem. Hopefully, I get my eyes on the Lord, begin to get perspective of the problem. Then I tend to lose sight of it again and got to go through that process all over. How do we respond to difficulty in our lives? Hopefully, in prayer, just like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. In verse 19 the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. So in the night, Nebuchadnezzar is having this reoccurring dream, but also Daniel receives 
the vision in the night. God gives the dream and the interpretation to Daniel in the night. God answered prayer. God was faithful and he was merciful to reveal it to Daniel. We see Daniel's response in verse 20. It goes to praise. It goes from problem to prayer to praise. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. Remember, men's lives are at stake. The order has been given for Arioch to go and kill all of the wise men. It would have been easy for Daniel to say, I don't have time to praise God. I need to go save these guys' lives. I need to go tell Nebuchadnezzar the dream and also the interpretation. But Daniel doesn't do that. He takes the time to praise the Lord. I believe that prayer and praise were very deeply rooted into Daniel's character prior to this crisis. So when it was crisis time, it was easy for him to go to prayer. It was more natural for him to go to praise. Man, when God works in your life, it's important to take the time to praise the Lord. I think about the 10 lepers who were healed. Only one comes back to thank the Lord because they were so excited to go share. They, they wanted to go reconnect with, with their family. And it's easy when God provides, when he gives an answer, when there's a breakthrough. We want to move right into that breakthrough. And we want to say, wait a second, I want to be very careful to go and thank the Lord, to go give, give him praise. For wisdom and might are his. That's what we see from our text, that all wisdom and knowledge belongs to God. No man could reveal this. No false God could reveal this. But this is easy for the Lord. And he changes the times and the seasons. We're entering into a change of season. You can begin to feel the crispness in the air. There's a little bit less sunlight and we're headed into fall. I think fall is the best season in Colorado. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. God changes the times and the seasons in creation, but also in our lives and in the kingdoms of men. If you read ahead to the end of Chapter 2, you'll see the dream and the interpretation, and it has to do with the Gentile kingdoms that rule over the world leading up to the reign of Christ. God changes the seasons in creation, but he also changes the seasons in nations. He changes the landscape. He does that in our lives. Have you ever noticed sometimes in your life, God just turns the page, and you go, it's a new season. And sometimes it's a new season of great joy, and other times it's a new season of great suffering. You know, I don't know. Why, why am I in the winter all of a sudden? Well, God wanted you to be there. Why is it springtime of the soul all of a sudden? Well, God wanted you to be there. He's the changer of times and seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. That's what we see in this dream. That's what we see as we look back upon history. That God is the one that rules all things. All authority is under God's authority. All authority is under God's authority. Psalm 75 says that exaltation doesn't come from the east or the west, but God's the judge. He raises one up and he puts down another. So ultimately, the Lord is the one who has put your boss in place. The Lord's the one who's put our mayor in place. The Lord's the one who every authority has put in place. Romans 13 verse 1 says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that are, exist are appointed by God. In 1 Timothy 2, we're called to pray for our authority so that we can live a quiet and peaceable life. There's a lot of concern internationally when it comes to 
the nations of the world, isn't there? North Korea is dealing with their own Nebuchadnezzar, aren't they? But ultimately, God's got a plan. He has, has a plan. We go, I, don't, I don't understand this. But the Lord's working and doing something. We look at Iran, and you really look into the country of Iran and their agenda, and it's concerning. You go, all authority is under God's authority. You look at our own country, and you try to begin to explain the political scene and how things are happening and how things are developing, and you go, you know what? God's got a plan. All things are under his authority. And I know there's reason for great concern when we look at world events. But we need as believers to have a peace about us and understand all things are under God's authority. Have you read the end of your Bible? It's okay. It ends in heaven. We know that we have eternal life. Jesus is the king of kings. It doesn't cause us to disengage from this life. I hope that that's not what you take from that. We should vote. We should be involved. We should care about our city and care about our neighborhoods. Be salt and light. That's what God has has called us to, but we do it from a place of peace, not a place of panic. And a lot of times I see us as believers, we're more in a place of panic instead of a place of peace. Daniel's dealing with a bad dude here with Nebuchadnezzar, but he's not panicked. Why? Because he knows that all authority is under God's authority. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. God, Daniel realizes that God is the one who's given him the understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what's in the darkness and all light dwells within him. This is specifically referring to the dream. Here Nebuchadnezzar is having the dream in the night. It's a secret thing. It's only known to God and Nebuchadnezzar, but God reveals it. God is the one who is light. This is a humbling and sobering thing to think that God knows everything about us, even the things that we dream and the things that we think about upon our bed as we put our head upon the pillow. Some of you are those that you fall asleep as soon as you hit the pillow. Man, the Lord bless you. The rest of us are having a hard time not being envious, right? Since I was a young kid, early elementary school, when my head hits the pillow, my mind says it's time to think. It's time to try to solve things and work my way through, through puzzles. And it can be difficult to, to fall asleep. And God knows that. You know, he knows what I think about upon my, my bed. He reveals those things. God's going to reveal the heart of Nebuchadnezzar here. In verse 23, I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You've given me wisdom and might and have made known to me what we asked for at what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's demand. Therefore, Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy, the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. This had to be good news for Arioch. I don't think he really wanted to go kill all the wise men. So here's Daniel going in before the king, then Ariok quickly brought Daniel before the king and said thus to him, I found a man of the captives of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. This is full on awesome. <laughs> Here is Daniel, this young man who is a captive of Judah. He's a slave from Judah. And he's going to come into the most powerful man in the world and tell him what's up in God's name, right? No one can solve this. But Daniel's looking to the Lord. 
And here he is brought in before the king with the interpretation. In verse 26, the king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, that was his new name that was given in Babylon, are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, the secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. Daniel's answer, no man can do this. Nebuchadnezzar's probably going, well, why in the world are you here, right? You, you told me you could tell me the dream and the interpretation, but this is what Daniel's doing in verse 28. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets and has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in latter days your dream and the vision of your head upon your bed were these. What does Daniel do? He says, but there's a God in heaven who could reveal this. He gives glory to God. He doesn't want anybody to think that this was Daniel's wisdom. This was God's wisdom. What's the main reason why God was able to use Daniel throughout his life? We know he served faithfully for 70 years, from a young teenager into his 80s, because he always gave God the glory. He never touched God's glory. He was very quick to say, this is the Lord. This is, this is not me. In verse 29, as for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while you were on your bed, and what would come to pass after this, and he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. We find that this dream has a future aspect. In verse 28 and 29, Daniel highlights this. This dream declares what will be in the future. But as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living. But for our sakes, who make known the interpretation to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. Daniel says it's not because I'm smarter or wiser than, than everybody else. God wanted to reveal this to save these men's lives and also so that you, Nebuchadnezzar, would know the thoughts of your heart. God's able to reveal the thoughts of your heart. So what's the application for us in our, in our text? We understand that God rules over all. We understand that he knows all. And as we face problems in our lives, this is a death sentence for Daniel and his friends. We need to go to prayer. What, what problems are you facing? And for some this morning, you go, well, you know, mine are not a 10. My, mine are a two or a three. It's difficult, it's, it's annoying, but it's not a death sentence. It seems like sometimes we go to God with the things that are a nine or 10, but we feel like he doesn't care about the things that are a two or a three. He's our father. Go to him with all of it. What is the problem that you're facing? Go to the Lord in prayer. Make this personal and reach out to three or four friends that are believers. You know, why, why do we wait until everything's hit the fan before we ask for prayer? One of the things we find in the Apostle Paul's life is he wasn't too proud to ask for prayer. He says, hey, would you please be, be praying for me? That's part of believing in the power of prayer. So go from the problem to prayer. Seek God for his mercy for that particular problem. And then as the Lord meets you, move to praise. And watch God work for his glory. And God can take a problem and then raise somebody up who's able to 
glorify God in the midst of that situation. Would you stand with me and let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how good it is and how practical it is. And Lord, we acknowledge that you're in the midst of the chaos. You're in the midst of the difficulty. You're working, you're shaping us and forming us, working things for your glory, setting the stage for, for your glory. Lord, and as a congregation, as your family, Lord, the problems that you've allowed in our lives, we do look to you. We, we look for your mercy. We look for your direction and how easy it is to look to our own resources and look to the wisdom of men. But God, we, we look to you. Would you give us wisdom? We do believe that you hear us. And as you move and as you work, may we be careful to give you praise. We thank you for how you've been faithful in times past. And we trust you that you'll be faithful in the future. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.